It's funny that we end the service with Spirit lead me. And I feel like last night and this morning, not completely, but God's kind of felt like I'm supposed to change up the direction on what I was going to say. So we're changing it up a little bit from what I had planned. So if you're turning with me, we're going to be in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. Um, today, I just want to take a few minutes and talk to you about your anger and your freedom. How closely connected those two things are. Your anger and your freedom. Did you know that you can't be angry and free? At the same time, when you choose to live in your anger and act out of anger, you choose to forfeit your freedom. You choose to give up freedom. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You make me mad. You, you, you have no idea what has been done to me. You have no idea how horrible my siblings are. Yeah, Benny, I do. No, just kidding. Benny didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know what's been done to you. Maybe life dropped you. Maybe you don't understand what's going on. Well, join the club. It happens. A lot of stuff just hits you out of nowhere. We talked about that a little bit last week. When that foul ball flies over the fence and hits you, it, they all come from the same place. And that thing came out of nowhere, man. They all come from nowhere. You just didn't see it coming. It happens. Sometimes you get dropped. Sometimes you don't understand. Sometimes there are things that come at you that you could get angry about. People do things. People say things that you can get mad about. But anger comes from the inside. So even if you don't understand what's going on, you don't have to be led by your anger. There are a lot of things I don't understand. Like why are there no B batteries? been thinking about that or how do you handcuff a one-armed man hate to be a cop that <laughs> went to that scene <clears throat> some stuff just doesn't make sense like this one as I was thinking of them you think your life's pretty bad think about a dolphin they're a mammal that can't breathe underwater, yet they live their whole entire life in water. That's horrible. And if you go look it up, they're the smartest animal that we know of. They're the next smart, smartest to humans. The, the brain to body size ratio, uh, they have the next biggest brain next to a human. And then they, they're... So it's even more torture because they're so smart, they probably know I can't breathe underwater and I have to live underwater. 
Or is that what made them so smart? That's why their brain got so big. Because of the hard thing. So anytime you think that your life's hard or bad, just just think about the dolphins. Maybe that's why they're so smart. So last week we talked about eagles and chickens. So if you didn't hear that, I encourage you to go listen to it. Because I feel like a lot of times in life we just kind of live as chickens when God called us to be eagles. Um, and I showed you that you're not a chicken trying to become an eagle. Like, you're not a Christian trying to become this different thing that God called me to be. No, you're actually an eagle that's been acting like a chicken. You change that in your mind, it's a lot easier to see a transformation. So you're an eagle that's been acting like a chicken. You choose safety over freedom. Go listen to it. I'm going to stop talking about that. And so some of us realize that we're eagles last week. I feel like we get motivated in a message like that. We realize, yeah, God called us to be eagles. And, and we leave a service like that and we say, yeah, I'm an eagle. I've just been acting like a chicken. I'm not a chicken trying to become an eagle. I am an eagle. And then we leave the service and we realize I'm a baby eagle sitting in a nest. I've not eaten enough food. I've not grown up. I've not learned how to fly. I'm just sitting in the nest. And that's okay. It's a baby Christian. It's not grown spiritually. It's, and there's all different areas of life. There are areas of my life where I'm still in the nest that I need to get out of. And there's some areas that I feel like I'm flying pretty good. So no condemnation to wherever you're at on the journey. We all have areas where we probably need to get out of the nest. Every single one of us. And for some of us, our whole entire life is still sitting in the nest. We've not started flying anywhere. So today we're going to talk a little bit about getting out of the nest. We just sit in the nest, fat and comfy, waiting on somebody else to bring us food. Somebody else to protect us. Somebody else to make us comfortable. Me, me, me. Take, take, take. You give me. I'm going to sit right here. You bring it to me. Make me fat. Make me comfortable. That's not what God called us to be. That's only when we were babies until we could learn to fly so that we could then bring to someone else. We're not meant as Christians to just get saved and find out, oh, I am an eagle. I'm just going to sit right here in my nest and keep waiting on mama to bring me food. We got some mama eagles that are enablers. They keep on bringing food to these big old baby eagles that they should have kicked out of the nest a long time ago. Talking about eagles, not y'all. You will never fly. If you're stuck in the nest. So I want to look. Um, I'm just going to read you a few verses in Deuteronomy. But this is a message that Moses wrote to the children of Israel. To his people. So Moses comes up with this message. 
And I don't know if Moses was out. Maybe he saw an eagle's nest up in the mountain. He was walking. He's talking to God, and he's coming up with this. But whatever it is, he addresses the people. And Moses says this to the people, and we're going to read. Look what Moses says. Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, and he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest. As an eagle stirreth up her nest. Um, eagles will build these giant nests. A bald eagle will build a nest up to six feet across. This giant nest. And they make it out of sticks and twigs. And they may use briars around the edges to keep other things from crawling up in there. Whatever this pokey, rough nest. And then they'll take animal skins and they'll pluck feathers off of themselves and they make it this comfortable feather plush bed for their babies. And they bring the babies food and the babies just lay there. They don't even have to use their talons. There's nothing to grab onto. It's just fur and feathers. And they lay there. But when he says, she stirreth up her nest... That's right when it's about time for them to fly. And she decides, okay, time to grow up. The mama eagle comes and she stirs up the nest. She gets the feathers out and throws them into the wind. She snatches the animal skins out of the nest. So, so it's pokey. Ah, God, a little baby, they don't like it. It's not comfortable anymore. Now, i got to learn how to use my talons and hold on to these sticks and stuff and learn how to, like, stand up, start to stretch out my wings so I, it's not comfortable anymore. She stirs up the nest. We all know what she's getting ready to do. The babies don't know yet. They just know life just got a little uncomfortable. This is not how it's always been. It used to be comfortable here in this church, and now it's up. Life's not comfortable anymore. Pastor Dusty keeps trying to kick me out of the nest. Or in my family, or it's uncomfortable. I don't understand why mom would do that if she loves me. Why she pull that animal skin out when I love that thing? That's what the baby eagles are thinking. I interviewed a couple of them. Stirreth up her nest. Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, and taketh them, and beareth them on her wings. You know what she's doing when she bears them on her wings? Come on, babies, get on my wings. And she lets the babies get on her back, and she flies them. And they're sitting on mama's back, and they're thinking, Yeah, mom was right. This is fun. Woo, look at that view. She takes them up about 15,000 feet. Ah, mom's crazy! Look what the babies are thinking. Like, as they fall... Hold on, let me finish reading this before... Hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that sounds all beautiful. She takes them up on her wings. She's taking them up to drop them. Verse 12. So the Lord alone did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. And he made him ride on the high places of the earth. 
that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock and butter of kine, well, that's cows, and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams and, and Arby's and McDonald's and the bread of Bashan and Longhorn. He's talking about the blessings and the choice wheat. This drink the pure blood of the grape. It's good, fresh wine. There's a stirring up of the nest. And then there's a new level of blessing. It's what Moses is talking about. See, when the time is right, the eagle makes things very uncomfortable for the babies. Very uncomfortable. And then scares them real bad. For the babies, for the nest sitters, for the users, for the takers. Why? Because they have things that they are unaware of. They've been given giftings and talents. They're stronger than they know. They have wings. They have talons. And they don't even know it. They were called to fly. They were called to hunt and catch prey and to land on trees and to pick up. They can pick up, a full-grown eagle can pick up a sapling and rip it out of the ground, a log, and carry it. These babies... They have things that they're not even aware of, wings and talons. You have abilities and talents and strengths. It's who you are. And you will never realize it sitting in the nest, sitting in the comfort zone, being a user. You know when the female eagle is choosing a mate, that she'll have lots of male suitors coming she will choose one and then she will put him through a series of tests if he fails one of her tests you're done she don't give him a second chance it's over she goes and picks another male and puts him through the series of tests so the testing is crazy i didn't know this but the female eagle will pick the male eagle and then they'll start flying She'll go down and pick up a stick, six or eight inches long, a little stick. And she will fly up to around 15,000 feet high. She looks at the male eagle who's flying beside her like, yeah, she picked me, she picked me, she picked me. And she'll drop that stick. At 15,000 feet high, that stick starts falling. Male eagle's like, yeah, she picked me. Why is she looking at me like, oh gosh, she dropped the stick. She wants me to get the stick. <laughs> he dives. I told you last week, the eagle diving when it's after prey, when it's diving down as fast as it can, it can reach speeds of 200 miles an hour. He has to catch that stick before it hits the ground. If he misses the stick or doesn't catch on, because she picked me, she picked me, he's out. She picks another one. If he catches the little stick, 
she flies down and then grabs a tree branch. This time, with the tree branch, she only flies up to 5,000 feet. It's a lot closer to the ground, and it's a much bigger branch. She looks at him, and he's like, yeah, she Oh, no, 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 no. That was big. She drops it. He flies down. He catches that now tree limb. And he's trying to flap his wings and hold it from crashing him into the rocks. He's like, whew, she'll love me now. Oh, no, that's not it. She goes a third time. And some eagles will pull up a sapling or grab the largest log that they can carry and still fly. A big piece of wood. And this time she only flies to 500 feet. With this giant heavy log that a lot of times, depending on the size of the eagle, outweighs the eagle itself. At 500 feet. By this point, the male eagle's a little tired. A little bit of sweat beating up on his beak. And he's looking at her going, are you freaking kidding me? That's huge. Oh, no, she's not. No, she's not. No. She releases that log. Imagine this eagle darting down at 200 miles an hour. And he grabs this log that's close to his own body weight. Grabs it with his strong talons. But then he's got to try to stop it from dragging him on down into the rocks. Into the side of the cliff. And he fights and fights and fights. And if he is successful on the third drop, he then becomes her mate for life. That's it. He passed the test. It's over. So, uh, so what's the point? Well, the point's actually for men. You can never please a woman. It's never enough. I'm just kidding. That's not the point. That's not the point. Just kidding. (laughs) The reason she does that, there's a purpose. It is because when they have babies one day, and she flies them, when she starts to mess up the nest, Daddy Eagle flies and starts circling. That's why sometimes when Jesse will come in the door with that look in her eye, And I have to go pray. Leave the house and start to circle. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The daddy eagle will start to circle and fly around because he knows what's about to happen. He's been tested and trained. And she'll take those baby eagles and she puts them on her wings. And those babies don't understand what's going on. Life's about to throw something at them that they didn't see coming. They're about to get dropped. Dropped like a hot potato. But it's Daddy Eagle's job that when she drops them, if they can't figure out the whole flight thing before they hit the ground, he's going to catch them. In fact, he's chasing them as they fall. He's not even in fourth gear. He's just chasing them how fast they're falling. He's faster than gravity. He's faster than them. There's a purpose. When she drops them, one of three things will happen. They'll fly, they'll die, 
or they'll get rescued. If you have trust issues or if you believe in works, if you don't know your Father or trust your Heavenly Father, then you think there's only two options when life drops you. Fly or die. Look at Galatians 4, 6. Galatians 4, 6, Paul said this. And because you are sons or daughters, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or I have a daddy. You have a dad. You have a father. He sends his spirit into your heart, crying, I have a place. I'm part of the family. I have a daddy. Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant. You're free. We're talking about your freedom. You're no more a servant. You're free. But a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Somebody needs to know today that you have a father that can fly faster than you can fall. Maybe you've been falling for a long time. He's been chasing you for a long time. He's right behind you. If you trust in your father, you're not going to die. He's chasing you. He's right behind you. And he can fly so much faster than you can fall. I'm out of control. I'm falling. Hey, life hit me. I don't understand why. I, it doesn't matter. Spread your wings. Grace says you have a father that is chasing you. And that's what enables you to learn to fly. It's grace. It's the safety net. It's knowing that the price was paid and that he's chasing after you. So you can try to fly. And if you fail, he got you. You know what the father does with the baby? Flies them back up, puts them back on her back. No, daddy. No, daddy. Back to the nest. Back to the, she's crazy. She, she's the one that threw me off. And daddy's like, I'm sorry, you got to learn. And he puts it back on mama's back. Oh, if I ever get off of here, I'm done with this family. Never again. I'm sorry. <clears throat> That's what God does to us. If we don't get it right, He saves us. He rescues us because He loves us that much. And then He puts us back in another test. Puts us back on top of Mama. To drop us again. Puts us back in another situation because He keeps on pushing us. Learn, I want you to fly. I want you to come up high. I want you to be free. I don't want you to be stuck in that nest your whole life. I don't, I don't want you to be a chicken. I, you're my son. Abba, Father, you're my daughter. You have a place. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not a slave. And he puts us back on top of Mama until we learn how to fly. You are called to freedom. 
but it's your responsibility to live in it. See, that's the crazy thing that I shared with the worship team this morning. I, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that we've been given freedom, but we can choose to forfeit or give up our freedom. Because if we couldn't choose to give up our freedom, then it wouldn't be real freedom. If we couldn't choose to not be free, then we wouldn't really be free. So we've been given freedom, but we choose to forfeit our freedom. We choose to give up our freedom. Paul had this figured out. How to be free. Freedom from the inside, no matter what. They could throw this dude in jail. They could beat him. They could stone him to death. And he'd come back alive outside the city. Like He was, just, he was still free. Because he knew that freedom comes from the inside. Freedom doesn't have to do without here. Well, I'm falling. Better spread my wings and try to fly. If not, grace will catch me. And I'll try again. Freedom. Look what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 26. Paul's giving instructions to the church and he's He's giving them instructions on how to be free and how to live this Christian life, how to look like God. How do, I, how do I live this life of freedom? How do I really look like a Christian? Verse 26, be angry. Hey, oh yeah. Sounds good. Be angry and sin not. Oh. Uh. Well, that's harder. You know nothing will steal your freedom like anger. It'll take it quick. You can get angry, and it'll steal your freedom. It'll steal your peace. Some of the worst decisions you will ever make are fueled by anger. Think about it. I can look back on my life and think about some of the worst decisions I've ever made or the, the ugliest things I've said to people were probably in a moment of anger where I just said what I feel, act out of my feelings, lost control. When you lose control and you, you're no longer controlling your feelings but your feelings are controlling you, you're reckless and dangerous. Get away from my kids. It's dangerous. And I look at my own life and I see times that I've acted out of my feelings, that I've acted out of anger. And it's taken my freedom. It doesn't make me free. It's the opposite. It puts me in bondage. So what Paul is saying is you must master your anger. You can't let it control you. And every time I bring up anger, you know, the angry people, they always say, yeah, but Jesus got angry and ran into the temple. Right? And that's true. He did. But you're not Jesus. <laughs> Neither am I. The things that made Jesus mad were different than what makes us mad. Jesus wasn't mad because somebody cut him off in traffic. Jesus wasn't mad because um, the person on the phone that you were trying to pay a bill to, that you weren't their number one priority in the whole entire world, right, Lee? 
Like, we get mad about all kind of things. Well, that's not what Jesus was mad about. So we can't justify our anger or us getting mad over stuff like that and say, well, Jesus got mad, so I can get mad and sin not. No, that's a sin. You're getting angry over things that... Mm -mm. That's not what Jesus got mad about. So think about for a minute, what makes you angry? What makes you mad? Is it a certain person in your life? Is it certain things that happen? Is it when you allow someone to make you mad, you have given them control over your emotions. You know that person that just knows what buttons to push to make you mad? Every time you allow them to make you angry and make you sin, you've given them control over your life. You have submitted yourself to them and become a servant to that person that you can't stand. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel even madder. <laughs> makes me feel even more angry because I really don't like that person. That's why I was mad at him to start with. And now you just told me that I let them be my master and me be their servant because I let them control me. It, it's just a, a trap. You get caught in this little cycle and this little trap and I, I'm mad at him and, I'm, and you let them control you and steal your freedom and steal your peace and steal your joy. And clip your wings. So what makes you angry? Who makes you angry? Don't give them control. You become their slave. Anger is weakness. Anger equals out of control. Anger should motivate you to act what happened with Jesus. Anger should motivate you to act, but it should never dictate your actions. When you get angry about something, this is what Jesus did. You get angry about something, it should motivate you to action. Right? If, if my niece Azalea, that's about to be two years old, is standing right here, and a big old dude, a strong man, Brandon stands up and walks down there and punches Azalea in the face. Sorry, I just picked you because you're a big dude and a pretty strong guy sitting here. Walked down there and punched Azalea in the face. I'm going to be angry. And it's going to motivate me to action. Right? So, Jesus, for the right reason, for a good reason saw something that was wrong that needed to be addressed immediately. That's how you can be angry and sin not. Motivates you to do the right thing. You're not controlled by your anger. You never let your anger dictate your actions. Anger can motivate you to do the right thing. All right, we didn't... Uh, get very far and didn't even get through the whole verse 26 be angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath Paul is saying deal with it in a timely manner so that it doesn't become wrath and bitterness and it unforgiveness in your heart and it, Paul's saying deal with it deal with your anger 
Be angry. Let it motivate you. Sin not. And then deal with it. Let it go. Forgive. Get rid of the bitterness. Find healing for the hurts. Don't go to bed with it. Let it go. Because then it will control you. Don't fight against anger. Fight for love. Use anger as a tool. Did you know your brain can't tell the difference in an experience and a memory? Your brain, like for you emotionally. So if you've experienced something and you're upset, you're angry about something. It's part of why Paul was saying this. And then you don't forgive. Every time you remember it, it's like they did it again. Over and over and over and over. And so you've already thought about it a thousand times when you went to bed and you woke up the next day and you keep thinking about it. So now you don't only have to forgive them one time for the one thing that they did. You've got to forgive them a thousand times. Well, some of us have been holding unforgiveness for the last 10 years and we've thought about it 4 million times. So well, no wonder it's so hard to forgive. No wonder it's so hard to let go. Because we keep letting the sun go down on our anger. Many moons. Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with it in a timely manner. Don't let bitterness and wrath set up in your heart. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor working with his hands. The thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him get a job. Let him work with his hands. What is stealing? It's the fear that I can't create something for myself, so I'm going to take it from you. I can't, I can't come up with that money, so I'm going to steal that money from you. I, I can't come up with that good of an idea, so I'm going to steal your idea. I can't come up with that good of a design, so I'm going to steal a design from you. I, it's the fear that I can't create what you have, so I'm going to take yours. Paul said, no. Stop stealing. Create. It's what you were created to do as a Christian. You were created in the image of God who is the creator. So begin to create and give to somebody else. Why do you say to give to somebody else? Because a life of freedom is a life of generosity. Stingy people aren't free people. The Bible tells us that the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the world of the generous gets larger and larger and larger. A life of freedom is a generous life. Paul said, get a job, work with your hands, start creating, stop trying to rip other people off and give to other people. Give. That's what freedom looks like. Verse 20, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Mm but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Are you building people up? The things that you let come out of your mouth, are you just constantly tearing people down or are you building them up? Because Paul said, be careful what's coming out your mouth. 
right? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. That word grieve is to make sorrowful or great sorrow. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You can make the Holy Spirit feel great sorrow. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All of it? Everything? Yeah. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I like how Paul throws in the little reminder because he knew how big of a problem forgiveness was going to be and how hard that was going to be. And so he throws in that little reminder at the end. I need you to forgive everybody. Um... Even as God forgave you, for Christ's sake, you've been given forgiveness. So you have it to give. If you come up to me after the service and ask me for a million bucks, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to talk to Jesse. I don't have to look at my bank account. I, don't, I can just laugh and say, nope. I don't have it. I don't have it to give. You have been given forgiveness. More than you will ever need. You have it to give. Paul threw in that little, that little reminder. All right, look at Matthew 18 and we'll close. Matthew 18. Um... So in this story, Jesus is, Jesus is telling a parable and he's telling the disciples this little story about forgiveness and about debt and he's trying to teach the disciples, right? And so Jesus tells this story about this guy that owed a whole bunch of money and he went in before the king, the guy that he owed all the money to. And the guy begs the king, you can go read it, it's in uh, chapter 18, um, but he begs him and says, just give me a little bit more time. King's like, I want what you owe me. He said, give me a little more time. I'll figure it out. I'll get it paid. This was a bunch of money. A lot of money. It'd be like you coming in and asking me for a million bucks and me saying, just give me a little bit more time. I'll get it. I'm not going to get that in a lot of time. It's going to be a long time. And so the king forgave him his debt. He said, it's forgiven. Go, you're free. So this man leaves and he comes out and he walks out in the street and he's like, yeah, we're going to throw a party. Yes, I've been forgiven. I don't owe anything else. And he looks around and he sees his buddy walking up that owed him just a little bit of money. And he walks up to him and he's like, hey, give me what you owe me. And the dude said, I'm sorry, I don't have it. I, will you please... Forgive me, give me a little bit more time and I'll come up with what I owe you. And he jumped on him and started choking him. <laughs> He's choking the dude out. After you've just been forgiven millions of dollars, this guy owes you the equivalent to a couple hundred bucks. 
and instead of hugging him and saying, man, I just got forgiven millions of dollars, forget about that 200 you owe me. In fact, let's celebrate. Come on, I'm going to buy your dinner. Woo! Freedom. Nah, he jumped on him and started choking him. I want my $200. So that's where we're going to start reading in verse 33. Oh, so then some other people saw, sorry, other people saw what happened and they ran in and told the king. Hey man, the dude that you just forgave, he just went out there and choked the old boy for only owing him a little bit of money. And the king said, what? Bring him to me. Here's what the king said to him. Verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Don't you think you should have cut him a little bit of slack like I did for you? King said, I gave you mercy. I forgave your debt. You can't forgive a much smaller debt. Oh, that's what God would say to us. Unforgiveness is you not trusting God to make it right. You think you need to make it right. It's you not trusting your father enough that he can make the situation right. You want to still hold on to it. Verse 34. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. That word tormentors is tormentors or torturers. That's harsh. Till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly... Remember, this is Jesus saying this. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Whoa, 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 Jesus. That's a cool story. Yeah, it was great. And we understand he got forgiven a lot. And he wouldn't forgive a little. And he was a jerk and he choked him. But now you just took it and said, my father that's in heaven will do the exact same thing to you if you don't forgive everybody. <laughs> Funny thing is, if you look back at tormentors, torturers, that's what was translated in the Greek. You know what that word means? It's a legal term used in the Greek language, and it means pressed for truth. It's what a lawyer would do in the courtroom. Press you for the truth. Make you uncomfortable with questions, trying to get the truth out of you. Looking for the truth. As the judge sits up, he would allow the lawyer to press you for truth or torture you. Torment you is the word that was used to translate it, but it means to be pressed for truth. If you won't forgive, then God through the Holy Spirit will torture you, torment you. It will be this turmoil, this bitterness inside of your heart, and it will press you for truth. It will press you to make it right. It will press you to let go. You know, usually we treat people the way we think God treats us. 
we don't want to forgive, it's usually because we don't truly believe that God forgave us. We have a real hard time letting go of something. That's probably because we really have a real hard time believing that God has thrown our mess into the sea of forgetfulness. That's why whenever in the Bible it talks about forgiveness, usually always in Scripture, it's like we just read from Paul. Like we're reminded of how much we were forgiven. Like he forgave us everything, so why can't we forgive somebody else something so much smaller? When you don't forgive, it's torture. It keeps on coming up in your brain. It's annoying. Like you're walking down the aisle at Walmart and you're going to get some milk and you turn and there they are. All of a sudden, you don't need milk anymore. Mom, I thought you said we were going to get milk. We don't need it. What? We're out. I thought we were going to eat cereal tomorrow. Come on. Stop. Oh, it's because she's over there by the milk. No, it's not. We don't need to go around her. I have a discerning spirit. No, you have some unforgiveness and some bitterness that you've let set up in your soul and in your heart. And the Holy Spirit is pressing you for truth. He's torturing you to make it right. Because you can't be free. You can't be what you're called to be, holding that unforgiveness and bitterness. You'll never fly like you were meant to fly with anger and bitterness. Holy Spirit, keep on trying. He'll keep trying to press it out of you. One of the definitions of forgiveness is to let go. Release it. Let it go. You become what you hate. You become what you hold on to. They used to, for the death sentence, they would, if you were sentenced to the death sentence, they would take the dead body and chain it to your back and strap it to you. And your sentence would be to carry around that body as it begins to rot and decay until it would eventually set up gangrene or some diseases that would then kill you. That was your death sentence. But long before it ever killed you, you were banished from the city and you weren't allowed around your family or people because the smell and the rot and the flies and it was just horrible, horrible. It's like bitterness, hurt and pain. You carry it around and it starts to stink and it starts to affect all other areas and you don't even realize how much it's affecting you. You don't realize the death that you're carrying. Every situation you walk into, people are like, <laughs> and you've gone nose blind to it. You don't realize how bitter you are. Back to where Paul was saying, when you open your mouth, don't let any of this, all this negative talk come out of your mouth. What we just read in Ephesians, that's what's flying out because it's death and you don't even realize it because of unforgiveness. To get your talk right, you got to get your heart right. You got to let it go. If you carry it around long enough, it'll kill you. A powerful, another powerful definition of the word to forgive is to break covenant with. You don't even realize it, but you're in covenant with your unforgiveness. You know, you can be in covenant with unforgiveness and bitterness. That's a scary thing. 
knowing how powerful covenant is. Me and Jesse are in covenant. We're married to each other. And every year, I've almost... Coming up like next year, I will have been married to her as long as I was alive not married to her. Like I've almost been married to her half my life. This year. Yeah, it would be the same this year. So... My point was, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, <laughs> the point was that we get more and more alike. And a lot of times now, we don't even really have to ask. We do because we like communication there. And, but we don't even really have to ask each other what we think about a lot of things because I know what she would think or what she's going to say. Now, maybe I don't agree with it, but I know what she thinks. And she knows what I think. And we become more and more alike. The longer we live together, the more we don't hardly argue about things because we're in a real covenant and in communication and we're looking more and more alike because we're attached to each other and in covenant with each other. When you're carrying some ugly thing, some bitterness or some death or something that you're not willing to let go of, you're not willing to find healing for, you're not, then you look more and more like that as time goes on. See, a real Christian will look more and more like God. The older they get, the more they grow. We're supposed to be looking more and more like God, more and more like Jesus, our example of God here on the earth in flesh. See, some of y'all are in covenant with your pain. You're in covenant with brokenness and hurt. In covenant with unforgiveness. And here we are in 2019, and some of you are emotionally and spiritually stuck back in 1992, 1981, and 1964, and 2008, and we can get stuck. Why? Because we won't let go. Unforgiveness is a root of bitterness. Do you know you can't hate one person? You cannot hate one person. It will affect every relationship in your life. Whether you know it or not. That bitterness and that hate and that ain't like eventually it's going to affect every single relationship. Today you hate that man. And one day you'll hate all men. Uh, today you hate your boss because they're horrible. And eventually later on in life you realize you hate all bosses and any authority figure that's ever put over you, including policemen and judges and anybody. You just end up with a... Why? Because of hate. Unchecked. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. The lie is that you can just hate your dad. Or you can just hate your grandma or your ex or you fill in the blank. But what you don't realize is that it becomes a lens in which you see all of life. 
He was pressed for truth. Tortured. Unforgiveness is torture. So you feel like anger brings justice. And it becomes your master. Forgiveness doesn't change your past. But it changes your future. Sometimes we, we hear a message like this and we want to forgive and we want to let go, but bitterness is the only story we know. And it's hard. It's hard to let go. And it all goes back to trust. So today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. And I invite you to Look inside yourself. Are there areas in me, God, that are there areas in here that I've not forgiven? Or are there areas in here that maybe I'm still sitting in the nest? Maybe you've called me to fly and, and I'm, I'm stuck in the nest. Are there areas in my life that I've not trusted you, that I've not trusted that even though I'm falling and even though I can't understand it and even though I feel like somebody let me down and somebody hurt me and somebody that I thought I trusted and I loved, now they threw me off a cliff. Today we see that our Father's chasing us. Grace is there. We have been forgiven a great debt. So how could we not forgive smaller debts? Let's pray. God, we want to be free. God, we want to walk in your freedom. We want to enjoy life. We want to live life to the full. We want to experience everything that you have for us. So God, today we make a decision that we won't be controlled by bitterness or anger or wrath that, that we'll put a check on the things that come out of our mouth that we will build people up and that we will find things to praise and not things to curse. God, today we say thank you that you've been chasing us and we thank you for grace and mercy. God, thank you even for the uncomfortable times that have pushed us toward where we need to be. God, forgive us for being comfortable scratching around on the ground when you've called us to the heights. Grow us up, Dad. Push us. And help us to walk in your freedom. Today we choose freedom. Today we choose peace. A peace that doesn't make sense. Because today we choose to let go. Anger will not control us anymore. We will let anger motivate us to do the right thing and then we will let it go. God, we love you. God, thank you for motivating us. Thank you for giving us the relationships to help us walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen.